0: Time to check in with Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Keith, good morning. Good morning. So my, my first guest this morning was the president of the Ferry Workers Union. Yes, I heard that. And man, you talk about dysfunction over there between union and management dispute. That is. Yeah.
1: So uh, some of this stems from the pandemic, of course, when there was these extraordinary measures. All a lot of companies employed um, to accommodate workers in, B- in BC Ferries. There was a housing stipend for yes. a lot of people in remote communities. But now the unions basically unprecedented lawsuit accusing the company of basically doing end runs around their bargaining team, doing one off deals with employees, and such. I don't. I'd be surprised if they win the money they're looking for, which is more than two million dollars. Yes, I don't think a labor board's ever awarded that type of. Uh, and this is a labor board complaint, it's not BC Supreme Court. Yeah, you know, so the um, the options are kind of limited there. But it's uh, it's an eye opening um, exercise in, in, just what, as you say, a very dysfunctional situation.
0: I thought it was weird. Like he said, um, I asked him, I've seen some reports that some people were getting paid an, an extra 500 bucks a month as a housing stipend. Yeah. And he said, actually, for some people it's more than that. And I was like, how many people are getting extra money to pay for their housing? from their employer.
1: Yeah, no, it's... Not uh, many. Ferries has had a big challenge, but we've all documented this in the past, and Ferries has been up front about this, their real staffing problem, Yeah, you know, uh, recruiting and retaining. Yeah. And even though we're, they're hiring people constantly, there's just, people are also leaving. Yeah. And then you got the issue of people living sort of, you know, everyone thinks BC Ferries is about twas in the Swartz Bay. There are many routes in sure, the BC Ferry system uh, connecting small coastal towns and villages, and they're
0: completely dependent on the service. Yes. Really, and the
1: employees who work on those routes can be in some of these small places as well. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a complex bargaining unit, one of the more complex of anyone. When you when you uh, realize that the bargaining unit is spread out over a huge geographical area, yeah, uh, involving both small, tiny villages and big um, metropolitan areas. It's uh, Very few companies have a bargaining unit like that.
0: Right. And the union is saying, well, we want to raise, um, we want better working conditions, we want better hours, and one of the reasons is because of the staff shortage. So he's mm-hmm. saying if you need to attract new people and keep them working here, you need to pay them more. Now, let's have a listen to the Transportation Minister, Rob Fleming, on this point. He was asked about this, uh, uh, especially about the staff shortage at BC Ferries, which is the big problem, and here's what he had to say.
1: This is an issue where they're being strong
0: and proactive. They have linkages with post-secondary uh, institutions like BCIT and Camosun College, Vancouver Island University, where they uh, do training. And, uh, and I think recruitment uh, is, is one of their uh, efforts that they're actioning now. Okay, so he says they're trying. They're trying to train new people. They're trying to recruit new people.
1: And they can't do it fast enough. Yeah. Um,
0: <clears throat> They've got a familiar story just about everywhere. Yeah, you know, we talk yeah. about the healthcare system. Yeah. It's the same thing. There's
1: a critical labor shortage in yeah. all sorts of sectors, yeah. and BC Ferries gets the uh, sort of the the publicity because when there's not enough workers, the ferry doesn't run, yeah. and that draws a lot more attention than say an operating room doesn't open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's, it's very much a public company as well. This Pub- you- publicly visible,
0: yeah. This union president, he told me that he was in a meeting with the senior executive at B.C. Ferries and the executive uh, swore at him and dropped an F-bomb and told him to uh, shut the F up. This is actually in the pleadings that they in the complaint. Wow. And I was like. Yeah, remember Jack Monroe, the yeah. union leader there. Yeah. How many f bombs would he drop on in a in, day? In
1: one sentence, <laughs> there'd be several.
0: Like, wouldn't there normally be in like in these sort of high high stress union oh, negotiations, yeah. the occasional f bombs going to get dropped, isn't I think
1: it? Think that's a side issue. As someone who worked at the Vancouver Sun and the Old Pacific Press Building and yeah. dealt with management there, yeah, that's nothing.
0: <laughs> Was there a few f bombs dropped oh, over there?
1: I would think on a, on the Regular basis, both <laughs> between management and union and, uh, and such. I mean, it's kind of old school. You're not supposed to behave like that anymore. But I don't, well, yeah. I don't think the Labor Board is going to care too much about that.
0: Right, because he's saying, well, now BC Ferries, because of this, broke their own harassment and bullying policies here. Yeah. So, I don't know.
1: Uh, good luck with that. But I think on the on the more broader issue of this <clears throat> charging unfair labor practices by doing an end run around the bargaining community, that's more... Um, at the heart of labor relations, yeah, and I think the labor code, the labor board is going to take a close look at that.
0: Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is these these workers cannot go on strike. Ferry no. workers can't go on strike, right? It's essential service.
1: So yeah, so it's uh, but it's also unusual. They're one of the few contracts that had this wage reopener in yeah. the middle of the yeah. contract. You yeah. don't. That's very much from the old seventies, and you know when when that when when inflation was running really high. Yeah. Uh, that was a common thing to have in collective agreements because inflation could, you know, be significantly higher than when the contract was signed. So the wage reopener. So this is the first re-op- wage reopener I've heard of in quite some yeah. time.
0: Okay, I read your latest column on uh, housing, the housing crunch in Canada, and especially how Justin Trudeau now has gone sort of. It, it seems like every politician, every level of government, is talking about housing and are all getting this. religion on housing. Yes,
1: but I also pointed out in my column that uh, it's tough to square this huge immigration levels, uh, 500,000 people a year, roughly, 485, eighty-five, four ninety-five, and then 500 a year, most of who go to the urban areas. Yeah. In B.C., the last stats I saw, something like we're getting 220,000 new arrivals over the next two years, uh, 90, 95% go to Metro Vancouver, the capital region, or Kelowna, yeah. or the central Okanagan and that puts enormous pressure on the housing situation. Yeah, and you know, increasingly people are starting, and politicians as well. But it's starting to show up in the media. Can we absorb this high level of immigration without adequate housing supply, and the other infrastructure pressures that come with that, as well as the increased pressure on the healthcare system? It's an extraordinary. We haven't seen that level of immigration since before World War One. I think it was, what, 1913, 1914.
0: But then you've got that skill shortage, too, because the other yeah. side of it is we That's just talked about the skill shortage. Yeah. So you need new workers. You need new
1: workers. You need new yeah. Now, not everyone who comes in is a skilled worker. Oh, well, yeah. It's um, a relatively small number. But we do need, uh, look at the healthcare system. We are, we are hiring um, foreign-trained nurses and doctors at a much greater clip than ever before because we, we, our universities cannot graduate enough people yeah. to fill all the holes In the labor situation, not only in healthcare but construction industry, um, all sorts of sectors are having a huge uh, staff shortage.
0: And now you've got every politician, every level of government all trying to outdo each other on who can do the most on housing. And if you go back, let's go back. This is several months ago. Justin Trudeau here before he got religion on housing, as you put it. He's asked about the housing pressure. Listen to what Trudeau said back then.
1: I'll be blunt as well. Housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. It's uh, not something that
0: we have direct carriage of, but it is something that we can and must help with. That's something we disagreed with our previous conservative colleagues. Okay, so you won't hear him say that again. Now, no. now he's all in on housing. Now he
1: wants to talk about the Housing Accelerator
0: Fund. Right, Yes. Which
1: she was out in Vancouver uh, last week announcing $115 million. That's just for Vancouver. Yeah. I think he, you're going to see him show up in Surrey, he's going to be in Burnaby, he's going to be in North Van, he's going to be in Victoria, uh, all announcing these funds coming out of this 4 billion dollar fund to build housing. Now it's it's you know it, it's just the federal government it's a drop in the proverbial bucket. Yeah. I mean BC Real Estate Association estimates we need to build 45,000 homes a year each and every year just to keep pace with immigration. So Trudeau's plan last week that he announced was 40,000 units over 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, over 10 years, we need almost yeah. a half million. Yes. But again, we can't expect the federal government to build yeah. all the housing or fund all the housing. But yeah. they are now realizing, as you say, all politicians are realizing housing, particularly in the urban areas where all the ridings are. Yes. Yes. The majority of ridings, both provincially and federally, are located in heavily urbanized areas where housing is a huge issue. Yeah. And it's one big reason Ravi Kalon is now, you know, probably the most identifiable minister in this government because of his housing legislation. No, no. And that's going to continue.
0: Okay, real quickly on the Surrey police fight. Now, this was interesting. You got Surrey City Council voted down a school planning uh, document here the Surrey school board is upset about that and they think they're being used as a pawn, they're stuck in the middle of this tug-of-war between the city of Surrey and the province over the over the policing issue. Well, Would Surrey City Council really do that, try and get back at the provincial government by holding up school construction, just because they're mad about the policing thing?
1: I think that's the first takeaway people get, but when you look at it closer, so Brennan Locke says the vote was unanimous. So even the people who were against her on the policing issue voted this way yeah, okay, to reject yeah. the school plan. So it didn't. it didn't Divide along the traditional lines yeah. so that's one clue the other thing Brenda Locke was over here a couple of weeks ago yeah. and I ta- and she met with Ravi Kalen to talk about housing. I talked to her in the hallway here and we didn't talk about Surrey police but we did talk about housing and her concerns are that in some of the areas they're now expected to build housing with, uh, which comes with these new schools there she says there's literally no infrastructure at all um, not just water pipes and sewer pipes there's no high, there's no electricity. So who's going to pay the costs of that development in terms of the infrastructure? You you know, putting a hydro line in is very expensive. Um, and And she's arguing that Surrey should not be expected to develop all these green fields, as they're called, without any help on the infrastructure. That's why I think there's a bit of a pushback on the school. So it may be part of the police thing, but I think there's more to it than that.
0: Okay, phone me on the police issue in Surrey if you want. It's interesting you got Surrey City Hall now spending, was it, half a million bucks on that ad campaign, yeah. right? Billboards sure pushing back. Yeah, well, the, the
1: province is in court saying dismiss the court the lawsuit because it's moot because of uh, the recent amendments. They the don't campaign. want to
0: take the blame because they're going to have huge tax increases in Surrey, right? And well, the mayor is trying to stick it to the province, saying yeah. it's the it's the province forcing us to go with this new police department. Well, That's all why all
1: municipalities so are having six, seven, eight, nine percent property tax increases. Oh. And the, the province has giving Brenda Locke a nice little club uh, to yeah. hit them over the head with, saying <sighs> any tax increase is because of you, it's your fault. Yeah, it's the province's fault.
0: All right, it's Baldry's beat? Let's go right to your phone calls. Tim and Camloops. Hi, Tim. Go ahead.
1: In regards to the housing issue, guys were talking about um, in the housing accelerator program that the Liberals have done. Both the Conservatives and Liberals, as we know, they they killed the national housing program. The Liberals, I guess, maybe with the NDP's help, are trying to do that, you know, or their support. But uh, Pierre Polyev and the federal Conservatives are they wanting to leave it all to the private sector because that would have been too socialist for them? Which is interesting because he's paying, uh, he's living in tax-paying funded housing currently?
0: (laughs) Okay. Your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so Poliev, again, Poliev is very short on specifics. Yeah. You know, he's been riding high in the polls because he doesn't get into the nitty-gritty details of his, other than a few few, uh, exceptions. One of them is... um, Reaching over the heads of municipalities with withholding federal funding when it comes to
0: infrastructure, unless they prove it, uh, approve enough new housing, unless they prove enough yeah. new
1: housing, it hasn't defined how much is enough, yeah. what type of funds he would withhold, exactly what we're talking about. It's, it's again, Paul is good on the soundbite uh, and the and the sort of uh, flip statements, but not on the details.
0: Well, it's largely. The point of his attack has largely been that government is the problem and that government should get out of the way. There's too much red tape. There are too many permitting delays. There are just, you know, Mm -hmm. taxes are too high. Government Government should get out of the way and let private sector build houses. And
1: he's also called for less government spending.
0: Well, right. So
1: um, you have to figure out, but again, he hasn't specified what programs he would cut, what spending he would cut, what employees he would lay off.
0: Well, he would defund the CBC and he'd get get rid of the Arrive Can app those yeah, are that's two things that all the time.
1: That's what he says <laughs> he'll do, but you know, so the CBC plays differently in Quebec. Yeah, CBC's a big thing in Quebec.
0: Well, that's why he says he's he's done a little carve out for French language yeah. programming.
1: Yeah. So, so again, you know.
0: we'll see how how detailed he gets. Yeah. Carrie in Surrey. Hi, Carrie. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, first, of all, I was just going to say, but Polly Hefla, if you have a good laugh, go read his news print about. Housing, he's going after nimbyism and gatekeepers in Vancouver. Oh, Mm -hmm. my, that's his big thing. But Mm -hmm. as far as Brenda Locke, what I was just going to say is um, I live in Surrey. I live in an area where we have five elementary schools within 10 blocks. And every time they build a new school, it's overflowing within two years. So mm-hmm. what I'd actually like to ask uh, in the media, has anyone actually looked at what the school board has proposed before, not you guys, but before accusing Brenda Locke of uh, using this against the police issue?
1: Please. Yeah, so I think the school board's proposal is in, in published reports today. And again, I haven't accused Brenda Locke of using this as an as a issue in the police fight. Again, I go back to the conversation I had with her here at the legislature where she expressed genuine concern about being expected to build housing and with it schools in areas where there's no infrastructure, there's no, there's no hydro line. I mean, that's a genuine concern. And she raises the point. So, is Surrey supposed to pick up the tab for all that stuff?
0: And that's it, it t- also seems like there's some poor planning around schools, especially in Surrey, because you got some brand new schools in some cases that already have portables.
1: Well, as caller I was calling. I they're brand they're, new. They're, they're, they're overflowing, uh, overpopulated almost as soon as they open. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, that also reflects Surrey's phenomenal growth. Yeah, it's
0: huge. Yeah, it really is. Let's go to Dennis in New West. Hi, Dennis. Go ahead. You got 30 seconds.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the, the federal government says that most people get 80% of the carbon tax back, actually get more than what they paid into. Being BC, we have our own carbon tax. Do we get the equivalent amount
0: back in carbon tax? You get tax credits, right? We only got 30 seconds. Here. Yeah,
1: so last stats I got from the uh, the provincial finance ministry, we collect about two percent Five billion in carbon tax and give back seven hundred and seventy-seven million.
0: So it's a net increase. It's a and net. It
1: used to be revenue neutral. Those days are long gone. It's now a big revenue generator.